0: Welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Piccolo. Hey, welcome to the Protectors Podcast. I am happy to be joined by Otis today. How you doing, Otis?
1: Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for
0: having me. The legendary Special Forces operator, Otis McGregor, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a legend in my own mind, right? I think we all kind of have that legend in our own mind somewhere. One story, some down there. Oh, yeah. So I brought up the Special Forces right away because, you know, when I first heard about you, I, you know, I looked up your, your background and I had to kind of dig into your LinkedIn, but you do have a lengthy Special Forces career.
1: Yeah, I was, I was pretty lucky. I, you know, when I, uh, when I came on active duty, I, I was, uh, I was given the, given to the needs of the army. Uh, the army made me an army engineer and all I'd ever wanted to be for the previous probably eight years was an infantry officer, but the army saw that I should be an engineer. And, uh, it was a great experience. I, I, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but the army was right. Uh, so, I did that for four years and then volunteered for Special Forces. Just, you know, I was going to show the Army that, yeah, see, I should have been an infantry guy. But uh, I think the Army won out in the end by uh, giving me that baseline of being an Arctic engineer, you know, being up in Alaska and doing those things. And then, and then going to 10 Special Forces Group to get even more cold weather training.
0: Now, were you 10th group in Carson or or was it Massachusetts
1: before that? Uh, I was the eighth guy. Well, there's a debate between me and a good friend of mine, Gunnar Gilpin, Chief Gilpin, who showed up, who was number eight and who was number nine. Uh, So I'll claim, since he's not on here, I I was number eight uh, from 10th group to sign to Fort Carson. Uh, But my team was back at Fort Devon, so I went back to Fort Devon's to – train up with my team and did a couple of exercises with my team, but my family was already stationed out here at Fort Carson in 94.
0: Oh yeah. I was going to say 93, 94, because I was in, when I was enlisted, I was at a Fort Carson in 93 and 94. And when did I go to hood? I think I went to hood in 90 and the 94, but yeah, I remember we 10th group coming in. So I probably bumped into APX going, Hey, you're that, you're that eighth or nine SF guy. That, that's-, that's right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, we we were we had to stop the bulldozers on the World War II barracks because that was where we set up uh, uh, the for, group forward headquarters and then the eventually the 2nd Battalion headquarters.
0: That's funny. I had a buddy, 10th Group, just came in around the same time. I think it was Russ Waters, if that name sounds familiar. Not right offhand. Yeah, not I mean, really shit, ago, we're talking – I don't know how many <laughs> – to me, it's like, yeah, that's like another life ago, so I'm sure it's the same way with you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Twenty-five years, man. Not, not that, not that you'd be counting that.
0: No, <laughs> not at all. So you go to Fort Carson, Tenth Group. So did you do Desert Storm at all?
1: No, no. Uh, So first Desert Storm, I was. uh, We were des. The Sixth Infantry Division was designated uh, a critical force to protect the pipelines.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
1: so, but uh, there was no snow damaged or hurt uh in the Arctic during a Desert Storm by the that's, Iraqis. At
0: that least. is good. That is good. Yeah. And I'm sure you can see Russia from there. So nope. that's that's, <laughs> that's a <right>. good thing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep. Yep. Uh yeah, th- actually those were still the days of, you know, the the tail end of the Soviet Union. So, you know, it was, you know flying over and uh you know, my Air Force brethren at, at Isleson and Elmendorf there in Alaska, they they counted their success. I mean, they painted it on the side of the PX on how many intercepts they had that <laughs> month.
0: Yeah. So you and I were kind of like the, the peacetime army. Then, you know, I, I took the different route. I was enlisted. Then I commissioned, and I was in, in two, September 11th, 2001. I was at infantry officer basic course at Benning. Uh, so where were you on September 11th? I was the second battalion, 10th group S
1: three. Uh, and I, I always remember, you know, just like all of us, uh, do is I d- just finished PT cleaned up. Uh, I was walking back from the mess hall, uh, to, you know, just start the day and walked in and guys were like, you got to get into the conference room. Cause we had one TV and it was in the conference room, get into the conference room and see what's going on. And, uh, you know, it was it was shocking to sit there and watch it. And, of course, you know, wife's calling and everybody's calling and freaking out. And uh, we didn't know what to do other than, you know, I, I kind of joke about it now. Uh, but we started to pack because we thought, hey, we're going to get called any minute now, right? We're going to they're going to be calling us to go do something. So we started packing and then we started palletizing and then we started on huh. and waiting and, you know, the, the joke of you're looking at the phone and say, it's going to ring now. No, it's going to ring now. And, you know, kind of going through that for, for weeks uh, and then the phone finally rang and it was, it was our brothers over at fifth group calling us up and saying, Hey, we're going into the mountains. Could you give us some advice on what kit to buy? so we were we were uh <laughs> we were uh, severely disappointed as a as an organization that uh you know we were the the designated by by Yusufik and Yuoc back then as the cold weather high altitude expert. <laughs> i was just going to oh. say that
0: I'm like, you got some guys that are already training at a high altitude. You got the mountain right there hey, yep. let let's call fifth group. wonder where they at Kentucky as well, right? Yep. 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 <laughs> nope. One see. of those
1: things, man. And so, you know, you just, you just roll with the punches and go,
0: Hey, it's the army, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I
1: said earlier, needs of the
0: army, right? <laughs> exactly. So you were S3. So that for the, the audience out there listening, that's what plans and operations. So you were probably yeah. spinning. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, we didn't have anything to do other than let's start pulling out maps. Let's start, putting things together, doing stu- error studies, looking at historical data, just, you know, cause it's not like we, Hey, we even had a warning order. We were just looking for what we should do and what we could do to, you know, to support the fight.
0: Well, that's, you know, in that S3, I, now I can kind of later on in the conversation, we're going to talk about what you're doing now and like a lot of project management stuff. But now that you bring up the S3, I want to tell the audience a, uh, Remember planning, logistics, operations, S3s in the military. So now you can see how Otis is a subject matter expert in that area later on in his career. So what was your first wartime deployment? Uh, I shouldn't say wartime. What was your first overseas deployment for, you know, the, the GWAT. Yeah. For GWAT, it wasn't until I got over
1: to special operations command Europe and, uh, I, I volunteered, uh, which really meant I called up a buddy of mine and uh special operations command central who was doing some stuff in Balad and said, dude, you got to get me over there and pulled some strings and, uh, spent about, uh, I think five, six months there in Balad doing a couple of things, standing up a, an organization or two and working with a couple of other organizations and then came home for a handful of months and then got a phone call, you know, always be careful what you ask for, I had a phone call from the assignments guy in D.C. Said, uh, hey, Otis, uh, and it was General Phelan, if I remember right, yeah, General Phelan is putting together a team to to do a, a mission in Baghdad, and he asked for you, and I said, well, okay, who's General Phelan first off, and, and what's the mission, and what are my options? He said, well, yeah. He's asking for you, which means that you are going, you, you don't have any options.
0: So, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you know, yeah. You know, you've proved your mettle with the S3 and then the, uh, the Blod trip. Now, what year were you in Blod? Uh, that would have been, I think, Oh s- six. Oh my gosh. I was in Blod CJ. C. Yeah, I was Blod CJ sort assigned to 10th group at, uh, from what was it January? And I stayed till September, but yeah. <laughs> that'd be funny if I ran into you back then. Cause those are, uh, they they're anti-terrorism force protection officer under uh, Tovo. Uh, I was
1: there cause I overlapped with Tovo. I've, I've known Tovo for a long time. We were, uh, uh, when he was the third battalion commander and I was the 210 S3, we were hand to hand, hand in hand, hand to hand partners, combatives. There we go. There's the word I was looking for. Oh, my God. Combatives partners. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Because fifth group took over right there. I stayed off. I stayed on because I was an IRR guy that got recalled. Mm. I eventually got sent over. And because I was lucky enough to take that ATFP training, <laughs> <laughs> they gave me over to uh, CJ soda under 10th and 5th. So that's funny, man. Now I have to look up. Uh, I have to look up some younger pictures of you and see if I bumped into you in a chow hall. That's funny.
1: Probably did. Probably did. I I was the, I was the interloper because I was the sockier guy that was, that was there, even though I was a 10th group guy, but yeah, so it was, it was kind of a strange relationship. I was, I was looked at uh, differently.
0: I was trying to remember, uh, there was a Colonel Pettit there. I can't remember if he was 5th or 10th. Brian Pettit. Yeah,
1: Brian Pettit. Yep. 10th group guy.
0: Oh, funny. A long time. Awesome! I ran into his brother out here in DC just randomly once, and uh, we linked up for a while. That's funny. Oh wow! Small world, it's ain't very it? Very small world. Very. So the next step is to get down to Baghdad, and and what was that trip like?
1: Uh, it was it was awesome. I mean, I I I had two jobs uh, on the first trip. Oh, the Baghdad trip. Yeah, the Baghdad trip was. We stood up the Iraqi National Counterterrorism Force. So the the unit, you know, the guy, the Siege of Sodaf was building the the execution arm, if you will. You know, the guy, the, mm-hmm. the battalion, the counterterrorism battalion, and teaching those guys how to shoot, move, and communicate. And what we were doing in Baghdad was was creating the headquarters, the national level headquarters of of how to run it. And that was a really uh, that that was an awesome experience because I just finished. Within a year, I just finished my uh, master's degree out at Naval Postgrad in Homeland Security, and at the same time, I was assigned to U.S. Northern Command. So I just finished all this Homeland Security experience, and to take all those lessons learned about you know what what was working good in in the U.S. Uh, Homeland Security and counterterrorism, and what wasn't working good and made things more difficult, and then also pulling in, I remember. Uh, applying some of the stuff I learned about how the French uh, organized their counterterrorism and their and their court systems around that, and I thought, you know, we, we kind of built our organization and, and helped to uh, develop some of those policies for the Iraqis at that time. You know, using not, and not just my ideas. I mean, goodness gracious, there was there was eight of us. We were a pretty senior team uh, who were putting that together. I mean literally starting off with sketches on uh, on whiteboards and then graduating into PowerPoint slides and then sitting down with, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, command and getting their approval and then getting Iraqi buy-in on how to do it and how to train and, and develop and promote the, the guys into the right positions.
0: Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that amazes me. There's so much behind, like when you get out of the uh... – when you get out of the team level and, and, you know, being platoon leader and you kind of move up in the ranks, you start really getting in depth and into this project management type stuff that just so complex. But if you have the background, like you did, where, Hey, you know, I just got a master's in Homeland. And Oh, by the way, there's so much to this whole counterterrorism mission and Homeland security that people have no idea about, especially in the military. So that was must've been perfect for you. It it was, it was a lot of fun. and, And, and you know,
1: Actually, after that, I took it one step further when I went into NATO, NATO Special Operations at the time coordination center, but now it's a headquarters or a command, NATO Special Operations Command. We uh, we were doing the same thing there. We were building it from scratch. You know, the cocktail napkin was quite literally uh, what we were what we started with and built that out. And and the way I like to refer to that was you know when i was a team leader we were doing just basic high school fid and then in baghdad we were doing probably graduate level sort of fit but when we went back and we started to develop the nato special ops headquarters that was doctorate thesis you know dissertation level FID that we were because we were dealing with you know heads of state you know chiefs of staff uh you know that was So the training I did in Iraq, unbeknownst uh, to me, really helped set me up for, you know, working for Admiral McRaven at the time when we were building that, uh, helped me set, helped me help him build that thing.
0: And, you know, foreign internal defense is the backbone. I mean, because everything's of special forces, at least. So, So everybody kind of thinks, oh, direct action, special forces, but there's so much to it. And that's a lot of things that people don't realize about like the Iraq ESF and all these, your, your real main mission is, Hey, you know what? We got to get these guys trained, push them out in the field. So we can kind of move on and do, you know, other missions.
1: Yeah, we were, we were, we're a real world hook fin, man. I mean, it was get somebody to do our job for us. So we don't have to do it. That's the way I always talk to my guys about it. That was the way I explained it. You know, it's, our job is to work ourselves out of a job. I'm going to come here. I'm going to show you how to do this. I'm going to give you the kit. I'm going to spend time teaching you and training you. And then I'm
0: going to send you off on your own. Exactly. Come back. <laughs> Train the trainer, right? Yep. That's awesome. So you, I got to stop saying awesome. I say this in every podcast, <laughs> people, I'm sorry. I say awesome too much. And uh, that's to my wife too, who might listen to this one. She's like, you got to stop using awesome. I'm like, Hey, it is. It's awesome. It is awesome. <laughs> so, you know, you had a great career, Special Forces. Uh, you retired as a colonel, right? Uh, lieutenant colonel. Uh, colonel, lieutenant colonel. It's still, it's a, it's high up there to me. That's that's an awesome career. <laughs> awesome. Okay, there we go. Um, but the next, what I really want to talk about is what you've done after that. And there's kind of like, you know, this podcast is geared towards everybody. And I always call them the protectors or law enforcement, military veterans first responders and a lot of that you know we all kind of have the same mix of things especially when we get out of our 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 careers so what did you do you know what when you transitioned out of the service well uh what I did was
1: I I wandered I mean to put it quite bluntly you know I, I took a took the first job that was kind of offered to me from Lockheed doing business development Lockheed Martin and did that for a little while then Lockheed Transferred me to another company they had just bought, uh, PAE, Pacific Architects and Engineers, and did that for a little while. And there were some problem sets there that I didn't like. So I started my own business as a consultant, did business development consulting. That's where LTO Enterprises started up just a year after I retired. Did that for a while, worked for another company, had to stand up an office here in Colorado Springs. And then about a year later, they decided they didn't like that. So they shut us down, laid us off. Uh, Did did some more consulting work, then worked for a a local data company here in town, doing data management and strategy development. Basically, I was a program manager for the special operations program. Got to the point where, well, that wasn't the right fit. Went and did some more consulting work for a few months. Got hired on uh, as a chief strategy officer for a small business uh, based in Texas did that for about a year and a half two years and came to a didn't really get laid off because it was a mutual I I was I was done doing that stuff I finally had figured out what it was I wanted to do and it only took me seven years Uh, and what it what I figured out was I like coaching people I like helping people figure out what it is they want to do who they want to be and how they can get there and and in particular with that developing better leaders and and so with that small business we kind of came to mutual understanding that i was going off to do that and they hadn't been awarded some contracts and some other contracts had been ended earlier so they needed the financial the capital in order to keep the company going so we mutually split and i've been off on my own you know running uh, lto enterprises as a leadership development and business performance coaching company
0: yeah and that's the big thing is the coaching so you you know if you take the the thousands of you you're taking you're actually doing you're you're dragging that down to the tactical foreign internal defense for an individual you're teaching them you know you're coaching them and that's what fit really is so that's what all this stuff kind of wraps in together
1: yeah that you makes know it was amazing sense, yeah. it was an amazing thing when i went through uh the coaching school uh, I pick. Institute Professional Excellence and Coaching. And as I was going through it and learning the terminology and things like that, I came to this realization that I had been coaching my entire life, business life and career, you know, to include in the military. That was how I led was I coached my guys and how they could get things done so they could go off and do it and I wouldn't have to do it for them or supervise them. And what I realized in, in my approach that I took when I graduated IPEC was I got this brand new toolbox full of shiny new Craftsman tools to still do the same thing I've been doing. I've still been working on the truck, but I just got brand new tools to do it better.
0: Yeah. And if you want to put the old analogy, you have you started off your career with an M16A1 and by the time you left that thing, you had an HK 416 fully modified with tools That's right. on it. That's
1: right. yeah. we're,
0: we're coming up with some terms today, man. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna turn this into, you know, your personal fit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and me, you know, I we were talking before the podcast, I think a few weeks ago about, you know, I've been doing this lean six sigma stuff for a while and project management, and it always comes down to the military decision making process and coaching and just basic leadership fundamentals. And that's, what's great about it. Yeah. You keep building on it. It's like that infantry fighting position. You always keep building it. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just, you just keep learning how to use it and how to refine it and how to
1: apply it in different situations. You know, I I mean, as as far as the military decision-making process goes, I, I love to tell people that right after I retired, I got hired by Fairleigh Dickinson university. Uh, there in New Jersey to teach an online class and called master's level class called planning and program development, and they sent me this little green book that, and no course of instruction or anything like that. They said just just use this book. So I took the MDMP and I turned it into in conjunction with the book that they given the textbook they given me, uh, turned that into a twelve week uh, master's level course with my <laughs> students and taught. I think I taught four semesters
0: there. Uh, That's great. It was and quite
1: literally the MDMP that I taught uh, over time to civilians. So, you know, it's it's a great process.
0: I know. You know, and that reminds me, like, probably about five, six years ago, I took the uh, DHS National Planners course, mm-hmm. and the uh, trainers course. And you're basically teaching, like, the emergency management, uh, state, locals, military, and everybody that, that comes into the training. You're basically teaching them, a five-paragraph operations order and MDMP, and I'm like, who is making a million dollars off of this course right now? <laughs> uh, yep, yep, uh, no doubt
1: about it. It is such a good tool, and and man, yeah. If if, if people aren't using it, man, you ought to look it up. I'm I'm telling you, it's just so simple,
0: and it's all over the web. So now your your new business is pretty top-notch. As, as, you know, that's the way I look at it. You know, a very just strategic. It's great. Um, I'm going to post links to everything you're doing after this, but one thing we were talking about before the podcast was how do you like stress, you know, a lot of new leaders, a lot of anybody that gets put into a management position or a position where they actually have to manage a project. How did you, how did you kind of integrate that whole stress module into there?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great thing to talk about because, uh, you know, one of the things that I got one of my new tools I got from IPEC is a energetic leadership index assessment, it's what we call it, or ELI, much easier to say, right? And what this ELI is so, think Myers Briggs, DISC, all those sort of things, but those kind of measure who you are and who you will be. What the ELI measures is who you are in the moment. And it measures your energy level and how you resonate from day to day in a normal sense. And the thing that's really cool about it is it resonates. It it also measures what you do energy level wise when you're stressed. So think about somebody pushes your button, pulls your trigger, whatever that, you know, to use the British term, a bugaboo happens, you know, something comes into you and, and, distracts you you know you have your day planned out a through b uh knocking everything out looking for it to go smooth and all of a sudden you know the 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 dog ate ate uh ate your son's homework your your wife got a flat tire on the way to on way to her work how do you react and what are the things that you do And, and what's really cool about it is you can see that And everybody I've gone through this with, all my clients, I use it as an onboarding tool for my clients. Everybody that goes through it, when they first see it, they're like, they kind of freak out and think that they're, you know, holy crap, I'm I'm a, there's something wrong with me, right? That's what they think. But then we start to go through it and they realize, well, yeah, that is how I react. And what I help them do is when those stress, what they start to understand is you recognize that you're under stress and then you can, realize and learn that you can make a conscious choice. So if I'm pissed off at something and that's a a negative a catabolic energy is what we call it. If I'm pissed off about something, that next action I take, I have the choice. Do I take action as a pissed off person or do I take action with a more positive attitude, an anabolic attitude? And you know when you start to learn that and you start to act that way in a positive attitude. It's amazing what you can see and what you can do. And then the other piece, the next step of that is, is I will help help my clients work through recognizing those stressors and then putting out indicators so that you get to the point where, you know, that button that used to get pushed like uh, the, the, the easy one that we all relate to is road rage, you know, driving through rush hour traffic and, and how that affects you and, and getting pissed off at the guy who's weaving in and out of traffic, what good does that do you? Right? So as you learn to handle that and recognize that, then it goes away completely or mitigate it. I mean, I, I, I don't think you can get rid of it completely because something could still happen and you can, it can push that button, but you mitigate it so that it doesn't affect you. And even if it does, you have the training and understanding of how to take that next step in a positive action as opposed to in a negative action.
0: Now, and you, I just want to say that's a great point because right off the bat, you're identifying that, you know, with the Myers Briggs and everything, it's pretty black and white. Mm -hmm. But they never, you never factor in the triggers, the daily stressors what is, you know, they're always like, well, your employee came in or they're crying at your desk. What are you going to do? <laughs> well, you know, I had a really great warning and I had a, a fresh cup of coffee in me, so I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> they never factor in as, Hey, you know what? I'm having a, a bad day. Uh, my dog died. Um, I had to come to work cause I don't have any leave left and I'm managing all these people and managing this girl that's crying at my desk. And I just want to blow up and throw her out of here, but, or her or him or whatever. Um, but if you recognize your your triggers and be able to stress management is huge and that's one thing we really need to teach leaders and managers about stress management because it's believe me it's going to show on your employees are going to recognize it right away whether or not if you're triggered that day or whether or not you're going to be be approachable
1: oh yeah yeah and it and it wears on you Yeah, you know, you've had those we've we've all had those days where you know, it's just been, it's been a shit day, right? I mean, you know, none of your sales calls go through, the meeting went to crap, uh, your program got canceled, whatever, you know, you, you name it, list the day out. And you know, at the end of that day, you're physically exhausted because it affects you, not just in your head, but physically affects, affects you. And you don't have, quite literally, that's why we call it negative energy, you don't have the energy to do anything you know, good luck going to the gym and having a good workout. I mean, if you can make it to the gym after a day like that, uh, good on you. That That's some, that's some damn good discipline.
0: Yeah. They're always like, Hey, you know what? Put out the fires. You're good. Um, but if every day it turns into a raging inferno and you can't deal with anything, your stress level, your blood pressure is up, your health goes out the door. So definitely this, this program sounds like very optimal for coming in and, just right off the bat, starting with it. Not like, Hey, you know what? We're going to, we're going to offer an accelerated advanced course six years on the road after you've been a manager, but Hey, you know what? Let's do this right in the onboarding phase. That's perfect. Oh yeah. I mean, I wish I would have had some sort of education
1: like this as a, as a Lieutenant and even as a captain. I mean, I think back, think back to some of the things that I dealt with and how I dealt with them. You know, yeah. Much, much younger man at the time, but, Man, if I'd had a little bit of this knowledge, uh, the my my action would have been significantly different. Not to say <laughs> I still wouldn't have been pissed off about it, but what I did next would have been significantly different.
0: And you always wonder what the ripple effect was. Because now what you're talking about being a lieutenant captain, um, being in those leadership positions, especially being fresh. And you're dealing with a lot of Joes that have a, their own stressors. And maybe you snapped at him one day because you were having a shitty day. And if you ever wonder what the ripple effect of that one action was, if you could just be like, kind of like even and and just, you know, do your thing, you, you know, you, just hindsight. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, gosh, I, 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 I think about a couple of, you know, those, those two or three incidents, um, you know, especially when we have a talk like this, I, I, they, they pop into my head uh and i, I just had to think man how could i have done that differently I, I think i would have done it this way and i would have been would have been okay break the moment it doesn't need to happen in this moment right now you know it, it's a all right we're gonna we're gonna schedule this talk here in you know next 24 hours sort of thing and you know it doesn't need to happen right there in the heat of the exactly moment. the heat of the moment yeah i mean there's times don't get me wrong you know <laughs> you're there's times when somebody is doing something that's going to get somebody hurt or killed. Yeah, that that, you better you better act in the heat of the moment. But then there's a lot of times where you don't need to act in the heat of the moment. You need to take that little time out. You know it, it's you know what that remi- that reminds me of a kind of a rule that a lot of uh, hopefully hopefully more and more a lot of little sports organizations are, are adopting is you know don't talk to the referee or the coach for 24 hours after the game. You know let the let the emotions of the of the match or the game go away, and then then sit down and have that phone call and, and talk, talk and tell me why my little Johnny wasn't the star of the game and didn't play the whole time.
0: And by the time this happens, Johnny's you know hey whatever, I don't yeah. care. And <laughs> it affects you more than anything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is and that's not just the thing. You don't and I've noticed you you're not only coaching you know, the, the private sector, but you coaching teams and stuff like that. And this is perfect for that. the, the taking a step back before you make the, the critical decisions. And we're not, we're talking like the strategic and operational decisions. And you know, the tactical one, Hey, we got to take care of this right now. Let's do it. Let's make a decision. Not all decisions, like you said, are like that. So that's the thing is if you could learn to control that stress and put that shitty day in the back of your head, it's, it's optimal.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you'd be amazed. You can, you can look at something, write something up when you're pissed off. Let's say you force yourself to, to develop a plan then put that, put that away and come back 24 hours with a more positive, a, a anabolic attitude and write that same plan and look at those same solutions. You'd be amazed at, at how much wider your aperture is right when we're when we're negative we're 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 we tend to focus in on ourselves and we can't see what's happening around us
0: yeah it's and, like the rage tunnel vision
1: <laughs> it, it's exactly what it is you know and, and it's a it's a spiraling effect too because you know it's it's that it's it's that why has this always happened to me you know you know, that that light turned red on me again. Jeez, oh that car, that car cut me off again. Oh, I'm late to work again. You know, oh woe is me. It always happens to me. I didn't it, blah, blah, you know. You can spiral yourself out of there and and all you gotta do is is, is break it. You know, break the cycle, break that, use a, a grounding technique, as what I tell my clients, you know, whatever that is for you, whether it's take three deep breaths. Get up and walk to the water cooler. Do some jumping jacks, whatever that is. You know, stomp your foot three times. I, I don't <laughs> care. Something to break that. You know, remind you that holy crap, I'm heading down that path. I don't need to break it. Exactly. And, then, and then you get a whole another perspective on on how to solve that problem.
0: Now, and I'm glad we talked about the stress management because you know I wanted to know more about that. And I'm sure a lot of people listening do because you know we just, stress is so huge, especially any job nowadays, anything going on. And we're so tied in with information and with technology and with everything where you don't really have, you you can't just take a step back and get away from it unless you consciously do it and learn how to do it. hundred percent. I mean, it's,
1: it's a learned skill. It, it really is. And you know, it's, it's much easier to, to learn when somebody's teaching you, coaching you, Helping you you figure out techniques and processes than it is to just try to figure it out on your own.
0: Definitely. Well, I'm going to say awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I had to get one more awesome in there. Now, Otis, where can we find you at? And what's the name of your company? And and if you want to give it back, refund out, I'd like like for people to be able to find you. Yeah,
1: sure. Uh, My website is www.lto-enterprises.com. I'm on uh, Instagram also, and I post a handful of little one-minute videos on Instagram and and, and Facebook and and LinkedIn. LinkedIn, I'm on it's uh, Otis Otis Dot McGregor. Uh, not a whole lot of Otis McGregors out there. And on Instagram, it is LTO underscore Enterprises, and Twitter it is Enterprises LTO. So last name first on Twitter.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely going to link out to all of it. Um, is there anything you wanted to to say out there before we before we cut the conversation off? uh
1: you know the, the there, there's two key points, and these are part of the di- performance disciplines i I help coach about, but these are two of my favorite ones and just plant the seed is is remember you have a conscious choice. We have the ability to make a choice of how you react and what actions you take. That's one, and then number two on that is trust the process. Trust Trust the process, there is a process. you create a process, you set goals, you develop a plan to achieve those goals. That's your process. Trust the process that you put in place. you can't put it in the microwave and hit hit one, two, three start, and get it you, you got to trust the
0: process
1: no, I like that, and you offer
0: courses as well, right
1: yeah, yeah I, I offer some i do I do some leadership seminars and you know some some broader talks, and then I do one-on-one coaching, and you know some group coaching also. And you're also open for speaking engagements as well, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am, and, and I have a book, uh, "Enable Your Team's oh. Success," that's on
0: Amazon. Okay, "Enable Your Team's Success." That's correct. Otis McGregor, Amazon. And the next one is going to be "Handle Your Stress" by Otis McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> I see that one coming out in the future. Yeah, yeah, just might. I want to read it. Well, thanks a lot, Otis.
1: Thank you. I I enjoyed it, and I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again, too.
1: Awesome. Thanks.